beloved. Today, I am thinking of the ancestors, not just the ones recorded in our history books, but the ones omitted from those pages, the justice seekers, the organizers, the community builders, every loved one that packed the brown bag lunch, led a freedom song. We know a vow, a vow takes effort. It takes commitment to hold truth. Reaching out, reaching across is hard work. But as I told you then, hard work is in our bones. Reclaiming my time. What he failed to tell you was when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, will you respond to the question? of why I did not get a response, me and my colleagues, to the May 23rd letter. Well, I was going to tell you my response. Just tell me. It is um, astounding how often we hear about wokeness, wokeness, wokeness from people who have no idea what woke actually means and where it stems from. We said we woke up because we won't allow anyone else to do this to us without us fighting back. Black women have always been at the forefront of most political and social movements. But we don't often see the fruits from our own labor. It's important to honor the Black women who have been doing the work all these years. The ones out there on the grounds giving their blood, sweat, and tears. And the women who provide space and voice for the underrepresented. I wonder, as we continue to fight for justice and equality... Who is fighting for us? From WBEZ Chicago, this is When Magic Happens. I'm Cheryl Jackson here with Taylor Coward and Jennifer Shea Love Long. And today we're talking about Black women saving democracy. That is, Black women at the center of social and political movements that protect democracy. Later, we hear from Hope Giselle. She's a national organizer, author, diversity and inclusion specialist, and trans activist. She's a truth teller whose mission is to bring light to issues that affect the Black and trans community. Plus, one thing about Hope, she's going to keep it real. So prepare for a read and a word. All that and more coming up. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, ladies, when you think of people at the center of political and social movements, who comes to mind? Stacey Abrams comes to mind for me. All right, Georgia, you representing Atlanta up in here. Represent. Okay, the ATL. Yeah, she comes to mind for me because after the election where she lost to Brian Kemp the first time, she actually formed an organization called Fair Fight with the objective of creating um, an environment where voting rights were actually properly device for everybody. Right. Mm. And so she was so strategic about that. She had this incredible team around her, grassroots team of uh, young people, middle-aged people, just all people really actively taking a role in changing the voting environment in Georgia. I, I can't agree with you more. Yeah, me too. It shifted so that for the first time in Georgia's history, Georgia sent a black man 
and a Jewish man to the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. That that's how that's how bad that girl was, okay, mm-hmm. or is, and how she organized the heck out of Georgia mm-hmm. and made it possible for two men who historically have never been able to pierce that veil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's that word, pierce veil. Piercing the veil. <laughs> and really, too, I mean, when we talk about the Democratic voter, there were so many different things that they were doing to prevent people from just doing the most basic things, mm-hmm. you know, like in neighborhoods that were predominantly black where they population, maybe they relied on hourly wages they would ha- lessen the number of voting booths that were actually in different precincts mm. so that people would have to wait longer. And if you got to wait longer and you're relying on hourly wages to actually to support you, mm-hmm. you don't have time to do that. Right. You know, but it turns out these actual voting booths were hidden somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just like y'all. Dirty and so tricks. she just exposed a lot of that, a mm. lot of those very sort of nuanced tactics that they were using to prevent people from fairly voting. Stacey Abrams, I feel like, is both an old school and new school politician. Old school in the sense of, like, working the land, getting to know the people, knowing the issues of the people. And then new school in the sense of tapping into voter bases that are often pushed to the side Mm -hmm. and learning the needs of the people and actually caring Mm -hmm. and her alternate career of like writing yeah like very very new age but also is one of those hit the ground work type of politicians that i think of in older generations Mm -hmm. so we know about names like stacy abrams you know she's famous she's a household name now Uh, but there are so many more women black women in the trenches even in the state of Georgia that have been organizing, like Latasha Brown, mm. who co-founded Black Voters Matters mm. and also has been very active organizing um, Black voters and fighting for voting rights and the critical issues on the ground. So, you know, I'm just curious, Jennifer, d- did you know about, have you heard that name, Latasha Brown? I haven't heard Latasha Brown, but I you know, know of a lot of other women that are behind the scenes doing mm-hmm. some very incredible work to change the political climate, but also to, you know, make impact on a lot of some of the social injustices that are happening in Georgia. And I mean, I I, I would love to learn more about her, but I'm, I'm not familiar with But her. I think that is the point, mm-hmm. is that whether it's Latasha Brown or the women that you know of that mm-hmm. are hidden figures that are right there you (laughs) go that are behind the scenes that is the experience the life experience of black women Mm -hmm. behind the scenes Mm -hmm. yeah making it happen for other people yeah okay can i get amen Amen. (laughs) that is the black woman um experience we are doing the work where other people benefit which is which is why you'll find us at the forefront of most political and social movements. Yeah. Why are we at the forefront of these movements? Because historically, if we don't do it and say it for ourselves, no one else will. Oh, girl. And and that unfortunately has had to continue. We are often not backed up by who we think should be backing us up. We have to go out 
and take that on for ourselves. Because ain't nobody backing us up. No. Okay. And the ones, and and I guess people are learning to, but no one is going to be as loud as we need to be other than ourselves. I don't want to generalize, of course, but as we look at movements, you know, it just, we're there and we, we're there to throw our two cents in because it got lost in translation or ignored. I also think too, I mean, especially like when I think about what Stacey Abrams accomplished, a lot of it is being able to see things from a different lens, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, I, I recognize that this is a struggle for me. I have to look at this environment completely different than the way it has historically been looked at in the state of Georgia in particular. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to focus on the areas that nobody has focused on before, which is coming up with other ways that no that nobody's nobody's paying attention to. And so I think sometimes we're more attuned to some of the nuance and and workarounds or again loopholes that help us navigate things in order to accomplish things because we we aren't just given it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to come up with creative ways to work around it. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I live at 626 East Lafayette Street, Roosevelt, Mississippi. Sunflower County, the home of Senator James O. Eastland and Senator Stennis. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola with, by policemen, highway patrolmen, and they only allowed two of us in to take the literacy test at the time. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. The first time I read the Ain't I a Woman speech. Mm -hmm. Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as any man when I could get it. And I could bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? Even though that was from 1851, I was just like, it is so depressing that like, I could go up on my high school theater and read this and it would be contemporary issues. Right. Of we're Except here. Is that the Sojourner Truth? It was yes. Sojourner Truth. Mm-hmm. We're here talking about women's rights at the Women's Rights Convention, mm-hmm. but we're not talking about black women. When you're saying women, you're talking about a different type of woman that I'm not. That's right. Aren't I a woman too? Right. Ain't I a woman? Ain't mm-hmm. I a woman? And it still rings true today, mm-hmm. all these years later. And that's what I mean about us having to go to bat for ourselves. 
she had to stand up there and go to bat for herself and other black women because it was just moot. She wasn't hearing anything about us. And I, I think we still do that. And it's frustrating. Well, you know what Michael Max says. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most disrespected group of people in America is a black woman. Mm-hmm. The most unprotected woman, a person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. So certainly I think the most invisible group of people in this country are black women, our needs, our struggles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it just permeates yeah. everything, whether it's missing our missing black women and girls mm-hmm. don't garner the headlines or the media, mm-hmm. um, the um, health care, the, 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 the health disparities mm-hmm. um, that impact black women are just, it was the Senator out of Louisiana when someone, you know, addressed him or asked him about the question of the high maternal morbidity mm-hmm. death rate among women. He said, well, if you don't count black women, it, we're doing fine. I mean, this came uh, out of his mouth. Well, in twenty twenty two. That's awful. It's that awful. Is. So let's just discount. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Also, my heart. I'm sorry. It broke a little bit for Stacy. I think she represents the quintessential problem: black women fight for everyone else, but who's fighting for us? She mm-hmm. lost her race mm-hmm. twice. In part, there were there was a lot of discussion about black men who were not for her, mm-hmm. so not for Stacey Abrams. And so here's a classic example of someone who's really putting herself out there, um, knocking down barriers so that, you know, others could be elected. And when it came time for her, um, she was not. So, you know, as we're talking about mobilizing and the work in Georgia. I want to get to us. How do we, in this room, how do we choose to engage in our political process? What are some things that you gravitate toward? I like um, going to rallies. I love taking my kids. Like I want them to see and experience it. Mm -hmm. I like working with some of these, you know, smaller groups that are trying to kind of build something, you know, And, and just finding a way that I can, share my talents to help move the needle, you know, whatever that is. So I just, um, I love it. Because I I think it's exciting. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. Because I want to get to also, it can be heavy, but I also think civic engagement is exciting. Yeah. As nerdy as that sounds. No, it's not (laughs) nerdy. Getting getting active and, and really... Let's not complain about things that are wrong. Let's work to yes. make them better yeah. and, and be involved. Yeah. So I, I do it all. I write checks. I think writing checks is really important. And as women in general and black people, we really need to start focusing on that. So I write checks. I jump in and help, um, you know, manage and work on campaigns directly. Mm-hmm. I speak out. Mm-hmm. I show up at press conferences and press events. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do it. I do it all. I'm very passionate about electing um, women candidates and supporting women candidates. And I'm doubly uh, passionate about black women candidates. Yeah. I like the on the ground parts. Me too. Like um, I love to talk to people. I love to meet people. 
But I was that girl chasing you down on the corner to repeal <laughs> P&A here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And um, phone banking and then following up on the phone banking to get money. Right. <laughs> But I also think that a lot of young people, they get the rap that they don't care about politics, but they do. They just don't know. Because a lot of things that we do every day are political in nature. The clothes that you wear, the music that you choose to listen to, the, what you choose to support, what you choose to boycott. Absolutely. Uh, put in BLM in your bio. That seems like it's something small, but just showing up and showing people that this is something that I stand for, especially something that people ridicule, then that is that is an act of protest in itself. And to me, that is political engagement. I want young people and and my generation to know that they are interested in it. They're interested in politics, just not in the ways that it's been presented to us Mm. and to know that they are making movement and they are taking a stand and I just want us to push our engagement a little further. Mrs. Chisholm, how do you account for the fact that uh, no more blacks than have have come to your cause in this primary process and now at the convention? I think you have to recognize, first of all, gentlemen, you have to really recognize I'm doing something in this country that's never really been done before. It's a question of inculcation, reorientation, and education. Never before in this country, ever since the inception of the Republic, Have you had a woman seriously running for the presidency? I'm not talking about someone nominating someone at the convention as a mere gesture of symbolism and tokenism. I'm talking about someone that has been going out in the highways and byways for the past seven and a half months and saying to the American people that indeed this is a multifaceted society, that Mrs. Chisholm also can be considered a person that can run for the presidency of this country. I was breaking a tradition, a tradition in which only white males have only been the gentlemen in this country that have guided the ship of state. So you don't expect people, black, white, men, or women, to suddenly overcome a tradition that has been steeped ever since the inception of this republic. So I understand that. I've broken the ice. So speaking of showing up, um, the question is, is anybody showing up for us? So I I, want to know from you guys, you think democracy has failed us. Oh, that's that's, that's a good question. I don't I don't know about failed us. I think it is not working, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that because because we're always coming up with clever ways to make it work for us, mm-hmm. right? Or to circumvent the things that aren't working for us. And you know, I think oftentimes it's like something something life-altering or shocking needs to happen for there to be kind of like a jarring in the way that we operate, mm-hmm. right? For people to actually open their eyes to the to the failing, to the to the fact that it's not working. And then that's when there's kind of a shift. But with George Floyd in particular, seeing that that's the kind of that's the jarring, yeah. right? And also seeing that but seeing that there were other people trying to stop it, mm-hmm. and that's also jarring. Mm-hmm. You know, that, right. that that even in these voices that were standing alongside saying, he's dying, you know, mm-hmm. get up, you know, get off of him, and still there's no reaction to that. That also just demonstrates that there needs to be a change, right? And so I think things like that, you know, that is a visible example of it failing, Mm -hmm. but it also is the reason why there has been some shift, right? So, so 
has democracy failed black women? So let me get specific to that. Even if we want to look at George Floyd around the same time, there was Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was not nearly as much well, you attention. Know, because even the, I remember I mean, stories about that, like, yeah. you know, the amount of tension and focus and energy that was whipped up mm-hmm. and rightfully so mm-hmm. around George Floyd. Mm-hmm. It was hard to get that kind of energy around Brianna think- uh, Brianna Taylor and other women who the police have. Um, I feel like killed. a lot of people showed up for Brianna Taylor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember so many people. She was their profile photos. Mm-hmm. And people changed their Twitter handles to say her name, Brianna Taylor. But I, the reason why they had that movement say her name, uh-huh. because it was not being said. Uh, it was being overlooked. And then they launched this movement yeah. of say her name mm-hmm. because there wasn't enough attention on women, black women who were dying at the hands of black police. That's that's what the whole say her name is about. I, I think that our system right now is flailing Mm -hmm. and so it's gonna fail a lot of people and i think that black women have had to do a lot of extra to fix it i just think about when we think about missing black women when we think about violence against trans women when we think about voting rights uh, structural how much is it how much of that is racism and how much of that is democracy or do they coincide like gabby petito Mm-hmm. When she went missing, mm-hmm. the world knew. Oh, honey, it's I was just looking at the Chicago missing persons list because there's a woman right now who's missing, a white woman. I'm not sure if she's been found. I hope so. But she's missing. Her family doesn't know where she is. And so she kind of looks familiar to me. So I went on the missing persons list to see if I knew anything. And I saw a 15-year-old black girl was missing before her. And I hadn't heard about it. Right. And, you know, a lot of young black girls get deemed as runaways. A lot of young women in general get deemed as runaways and and they they don't get that kind of attention. And so for me, that's just racism. You know, that's just I'm not seeing you as an equal citizen. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's what my struggle is in my head of how much of this is just our democracy and how much is it is just institutionalized old school racism. I think it's hard to separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking too, like, you know, when we were talking about Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, you know, we're able to see things differently than we saw before. And what I mean by that is now everything is on camera. It can be captured on camera. And in his case in particular, it was literally real time, real like literally we're watching this man take his last breath, mm-hmm. right? And that is not to take away from Breonna Taylor, because that also was very, very significant. But I think, you know, visually, we are beings that it's like we're not jarred unless we see it, you know, and it doesn't impact us unless unless we see it, unless we experience it. And so I think in that way, that makes it a little bit different. But also we have more control now to control that narrative. So Mm -hmm. similarly with the missing girl, I had a situation in Atlanta with a young boy that went missing and I did all the things Mm -hmm. to find this child. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, you know, we do have the power and the ability to, to push for that. I get that for me. 
I would like to see, I've never seen this, Mm -hmm. a groundswell fill the streets up with people marching for a Black woman, a girl. I've, I've yet to see that. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So I'm a woman's woman. I'm a girl's girl and especially a champion for black women. But I'll be the first to admit that there are some battles I don't know much about and I want to know more. So when I sat down with author and activist Hope Giselle to chat about the intersecting struggles of black cis and trans women and how we're all fighting, oftentimes for everybody, it became even more apparent that we're sisters in different battles fighting the same war. Child, she is a force to be reckoned with, and I couldn't be more grateful for this conversation. What inspired your your journey in activism? Honestly, it was a Facebook post. Uh, it was back when uh, gay marriage got uh, initially legalized. And up and down my news feed on Facebook, I was just inundated with like all of my Black friends with so many negative things to say and so much disgusting stuff. I was surprised at the response from them versus the response from all of these people who I interacted with as a trans woman every single day that now had all of these disgusting things to say. And I couldn't take it. I made a video and the rest is history. From that moment forward, I was like thrust into a space of not only speaking from my heart, but then speaking from the research and the knowledge and and all of the the other things that the ancestors and the elders had left here for me so that I could speak with clarity as well as emotion. We're we're often, Black women are often uh, on the forefront of uh, most social and political uh, movements. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we have nothing to lose. Moving in uncomfortable spaces is something that you have to learn how to do as a Black woman before you learn how to, you know, properly apply your sanitary napkin to your underwear. It's one of those things where people tell you constantly before they teach you anything else about being a young Black woman. The second that I stepped into Black womanhood, I had my Black woman friends, and these are my biological, my cisgender, my mom was just like, hey, so now that you're over here and we're going to do this, there's a couple of things that I need to tell you. And none of it was any of the, it was not, it wasn't the positive stuff. It was all about the ways in which I was going to be perceived, how I needed to speak in order to be heard, when I needed to step back for the greater good, when I needed to speak up, because if I didn't, then it would affect me most, right? Those are the conversations that we're navigating as Black women before we navigate conversations about how to, you know, end up with a man that's going to treat you right. There are so many ways in which we are prepared for the world that we are not prepared for our own circumstances that make absolutely no sense, but so much sense at the same time, which is why you do find yourself in spaces where Angela Davis is reigning supreme, where you find yourself where Maya Angelou 
is literally the voice of poetry and soul. Where you, where you find yourself wondering why strange fruit had you in a chokehold. And it's because the voices of Black women have been taught to deal with struggle and handle it as if nothing is going on before they were ever taught to embrace femininity, before they were ever taught to embrace the idea of what it meant to just sit back and be taken care of. We were taught to dismantle things. Because without that dismantlement, we would always have to sit back and wait on somebody else to give us something. The white men weren't going to give it to us. The white women didn't care about the fact that we were women. The black men were trying to you know, justify themselves and their masculinity to other people. And thus, we had to hold down everything or else we were not doing our job as women. But at the same time, who does that job for us? Oh, we got to do that too? No problem. We'll pick it up, right? And I think that we do it because we qualified. The rest of them will crash and burn six times. Before the first task was even complete. Ooh, yeah, I love it in one sense because you're speaking to what's special and powerful about, about Black women. So I love it from that perspective. But the other perspective, it's sad that we do have to, we, we, we do not have an option. We don't have an option. And who's fighting for us? So we're fighting for this democracy, but uh, is democracy failing us? Let's talk about uh, violence against Black trans women. It's one of those things where it's like, how do we have this conversation and how do we have a constructive conversation around the violence that Black trans women are be facing if we don't talk a little bit about the culprits, which are usually Black heterosexual cisgender men. And then when you dig even deeper into that, a lot of that have been um, named as intimate partner violence, which also means that we're seeing more reports come back where these men were engaged in relationships with these young ladies. But beyond that, Let's talk a little bit about where Black women fall in the uh, the depths of their Black trans sisters. A lot of people sit back and say, well, we're not the ones killing y'all. Y'all have misplaced energy. It's not, you know, like, it's not us. But when you pillow talk at night with your brother... When you sit around the dominoes table with your, your, you know, your father, who's definitely interested in a trans woman and hasn't seen your mom in the last 20 years, you know, or when you tell your son that these people are these things and X, Y's and Z's, and then you wonder why they have these visceral responses or these visual reactions to people when they are in public. I think that there is a conversation to be had that as women, why do we feel the need to, well, child, other women in general, to make men feel like unless there is a visceral response to this type of person, then there's something wrong with you. In order for us to have a real conversation, we have to have a conversation around accountability. Accountability to the girls, because some of us are not disclosing our full existence, right? Accountability for the Black men, because a lot of them refuse to acknowledge their attractions. And so even if they are engaging, they're doing so in negative ways once other people find out. And then accountability for Black cisgender women for expressing this dis- this disdain in a way that empowers the men to commit the crimes that they've been committing. And so it's a threefold conversation of accountability that I think we've just been missing. I would, you know, I would think that the Gen Z community would be much more of an ally. Uh, certainly um, um, Gen Z Black cis women would be much more um, an, an ally uh, than, say, older generations, whether it's a, on the older side of millennial or Gen X, um, that's, that would be me, my generation, or older. It, is, that, is that off? Is that not the case? Not necessarily. I think that it's really, it depends on, and that, that's why I say with, with, 
with our white counterparts, with our non-black counterparts, I think that it is a little generational. With us, I really think on, I think that it's based off of what you choose to believe for yourself. I have had some of the most amazing experiences with my elder black women. And I've also had some of the most disgusting experiences with elder black women. I've had some beautiful experiences with Gen X and Gen Z women. I've had some disgusting experiences. But across the board, there is an understanding of right is right and wrong is wrong amongst black women that I do not see amongst other cultures of women when I've seen the attacks and the, the berating. There's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding of respect for blackness that even the most hotep of the hoteps have that I do not see white folks have or other people have. And I just think that that go that there's something in us that's built beyond a generational understanding. There's something in you that says, I rock with that theory for whatever reason that it is, or I don't. And I don't think that you can really put a generation on that for us. You mentioned that you feel most supported by black women, black cis women. Can you talk more about that support? How have Black women shown up for you? Honestly, um, a lot of the Black cis women in my life, the ones that I surround myself with at least, have always been nothing more than honest with me. And they've always come in spaces of sister, auntie, or mother, right? Um, and depending on what I need that day, I have some people that shape shift in between sister and, and, and mother or auntie and mom, you know, like everybody has their days. But there's a support that comes when I am being berated on the internet and I have older, you know, cis women and older trans women that come and say, I respect you, I thank you, I love you, I see you. Um, and I don't get that from other people. Even my my other allies, even you know, all of those people, I don't get that from other people. When black women see you and they feel you, they let you know it. I've had a thousand, you know, moments where I feel like I was waiting on the men that I had saved to come back and at least pat me on the back for the save. Never came. But there's there's something beautiful about being seen by your sisters. There's something amazing about, like, I can go outside and get a thousand and one compliments. It's not until a black woman comes up to me and say, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's you. That's that, right. That's, that's right. When, that's, that's when right. That, that pep in my step moves differently. And I feel like I get that. I get that more often than I get the hate. Don't get me wrong. There are several hundred thousand, I'm sure, Black women that would want me to shut up and stop claiming womanhood. But there are so many more women that are perfectly fine with me in space and that, that love me and let me know it. So I'm okay with that. I cannot let this interview end without talking about um, the obvious that you are so freaking fly, okay? <laughs> Just such a fashionista, okay? Look at you. I know, I know. Uh, such a fashionista, so stylish. You're bold in every area of your life, and that includes your sense of style. So I want to know, uh, what garments, what, what pieces of clothing, what look, style, combo, um, makes you feel most powerful? I love a good blazer. I have so many of them. And they just make me, like, <laughs> for those of y'all that can't see, I'm wearing a black one today. Um, but I love a good blazer and a pump. There's some, I'm, I'm with you. I don't care what's under the blazer. But I love a good blazer and a pump moment. Those that I just feel like I'm about to conquer the world, like I'm about to say a thing. Sometimes I'll be at speaking engagements that are not really that serious at all. But people will be like, why you got on this blazer, girl? You know, you just got to come and talk to the kids. But it's, there's something about <laughs> being able to, you know, go into the space 
in my power suit, my plower blazer, my, my cute little shoes and, and making a moment out of it. Because I also feel like it's a moment to showcase to other young black women, like, here's a, here's a new way to jazz it up. Like I can be both intelligent and stylish and I'm going to come in here and give you both at the same time. And it's just beautiful. I love fashion. When you're not wearing your superwoman cape, how do you prioritize self-care and healing for yourself? Oh, I am in my man, my man, my man, my man era. <laughs> and so I prioritize myself by prioritizing my man. <laughs> and, oh, okay, um, girl. <laughs> you know, like I, I just love being in a space where I have a person who is my friend. And when everything feels really heavy, you know, I can check in with him and make sure stuff isn't feeling just as heavy for him. And if, when it's not, and even when it is, you know, we help each other through our heavy. And that's been a self-care ritual that has been so lovely to have because I feel like I've wanted it for so long. And and actually having it and having it be something that I don't, I'm not afraid of being ripped away from me feels really good. Well, congratulations. I think everybody should have a wonderful person in their life that is an anchor and is healing um, edifies them and advocates for them. So I'm glad you have that. And uh, yes, you can consider the women of When Magic Happens part of your crew, part of your hype crew. Look here, you girl. can't get rid of we'll me. We'll be hyping you up. <laughs> you can't get rid of me now. Thank y'all so much for having me. I just in- inducted y'all into her club. So <laughs> <laughs> hope that was all right. <laughs> I loved her. Yeah, yes. me too. She was so strong in herself. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it doesn't mean that she wasn't filled with doubt or fear. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just de- decided that I'm I'm going to stand in my truth. Yep. Yeah. Period. I also like that she just, she stood in her truth. Like that is her being her. Mm-hmm. And this is her path. This is her, you know, experience, which it was really interesting to sort of, hear what her experience has been from really all angles. Um, and so I think, you know, it's important that that's what's magical to me, man. You just keep doing you. Mm-hmm. And I think she kind of referenced something we talked about earlier that Cheryl kind of got to of like waiting on that pat on the back that never came mm-hmm. from the people that you expected to come from. So I have so much respect for her because I know all the hate that comes to her. Mm. And um, and to still stand and to fight for for all women, mm-hmm. all black women, mm-hmm. even though maybe some aren't fighting for her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad there are hope Giselles in the world. Yes. Um, I think it's going to get us closer to the democracy this country was created to be. Yep. And that's a wrap for our first episode for our series on Black Women Saving Democracy. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tune in every Friday for your dose of When Magic Happens. And follow us on Instagram at When Magic Happens Podcast. Don't miss out on the latest and greatest from your When Magic Happens family. Subscribe to our newsletter, the perfect companion to this podcast. It's chock full of magic. Join our email community at wbez.org backslash newsletters.
Special thanks to our guest, the incomparable Hope Giselle, for joining us today. You can find her at HopeGiselle.com. And you can find me, Cheryl Jackson, on socials at Cheryl Jackson. That's Cheryl with an E. You can find me, Jennifer Shea Love Long, on Instagram at Being Shea Love. And you can find me, Taylor Coward, on Instagram at Taylor Coward Online. And we want to hear from you, our magical listeners. Our email address is magic at wbez.org. Send us anything. We want to hear from you. When Magic Happens is a production of WBEZ Chicago. Our truly magical producer is Brianna Garrett. Elizabeth Cambridge is our associate producer. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Tracy Brown is chief content officer. Production assistance by Justin Bull. Engineering by Dave Miska and Deshaun Smith. See y'all next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.